Welcome back to the Pilgrim Faith Podcast, where human wonder fuels the quest for Christian wisdom. Today, I'm delighted to be joined once again by my good friend, Dale. For the first time in a couple of weeks, we both had sort of a torrent of life going on. Uh, I believe our last episode, ironically, if I recall, was actually during a tropical storm. And this one is also during a prep for a tropical storm. And so I think maybe future forward, we're just going to do episodes when a storm hits Florida, which means that we can still get like 30 episodes a year. So like (laughs) that's that's right. One of the things Dale and I talk a lot about on this podcast is the, you know, modernity. You probably to an annoying degree hear us, you you know, the modern world and modernity, Uh, but it's nevertheless all, you know, kind of something I guess we're just both very interested in. What is it about our moment that's kind of unique? How do you be wise, you know, within all the little textures of our context, which just is an irreducibly complicated context? And those, you know, those who know me well and read any of my writing know that I am just a... Uh, 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 I have been deeply moved by this this interesting C.S. Lewis quote in the book Miracles that really tries to capture the way in which modern common people are intellectually and theologically and philosophically adrift. And what he, what he captures in this quote, it's I can't remember it's in chapter six or seven of Miracles, uh, is that for the most part in the past. You know, when you when you have, you know, we we love to use this phrase since the 19th century, the common man. And so when we try to uh, think about whatever the common man is in the, you know, in pre-modernity, one of the things that seems clear, and you can even see this echoed, I think, in a lot of communities in the world that are the least kind of at the tipping tip of the edge of modernity. One of the things that seems clear is that a lot of common people didn't feel a great deal of pressure to claim a kind of ethical and moral and philosophical and theological arrival. You know, if you asked Mama a theological question, perhaps way in the past, one of the answers would be talk to the priest or talk to those who know about that kind of stuff. Uh, and, And one thing that you see happily developed in the early modern period is a desire for a larger distribution of education to the masses so that mama can answer that question and isn't just dependent on the priest. But even in the early modern period, for hundreds of years, it's just assumed that mama's answers are probably, unless there's an extraordinary person, and there's plenty of extraordinary persons, but often mama's answers aren't going to, they're going to be uh, good uh, they're going to be helpful, but there are going to be those who know more. And Mama's going to have the sense like, oh, well, you know, for that, you need to go to my betters. And those betters will have a sense, well, for that, you need to go to my betters. You know, and there's right. some sense <clears throat> that there's a a, a, a a hierarchy in a sense of knowing, of confidence in knowing, of deep possession of knowledge, you might say. Um, and so, but Lewis says, you know, we've lost that. We've lost this societal condition in which wisdom and knowledge is mediated through to the masses through the authority of custom and tradition. And we have created this ecosystem in which the common person, uh, Lewis says, must find knowledge for themselves or go without it. 
Um, and at the same time, kind of celebrity, intellectual celebrity has lost firm theological and metaphysical and moral knowledge. And so really, even at the level of kind of mass influence, the common person has to kind of find wisdom for themselves in a way that was not often true in the past. Um, um, and that's, I guess, what we want to talk about, because one of the, you know, I think Dale and I kind of more or less agree. Yeah, that's the condition we're in. There's a, a level of cultural and civilizational and ecclesiastical and moral adriftness that's not just a thing about the woke. It's not just a thing about the red pill. It's just a condition of being a person that lives right, right. now. It, it, to be born and for the lights to go on, to be hoisted above the abyss of nothing in this moment is to be born a little bit adrift. Um, and the question becomes, and this is really what we're going to talk about today, we don't want to be adrift. We're trying to find orientation. We want to arrive. We want to have something more firm. We want to become certain of some things. Um, but is there a temptation to believe that I have arrived at that certainty uh, too fast? Are there mm. easy ways that are tempting for us? And especially, I think, generally speaking, for young, kind of in intelligent-minded engineer brain men, uh, people who are interested in theology and the, the issues and so forth, is there an, a special temptation to feel an almost agitated need to kind of seize a sensation of arrival when in fact you have not truly gone through the difficult pilgrimage, the difficult pilgrimage, especially for you uh, right. to arrive, uh, uh, to be able to claim that kind of arrival that perhaps you might be tempted to feign. Yeah, it's funny you said that. I was writing down while you were talking, uh, arrival without the pilgrimage. And this is something you and I talk about all the time. Mm. R.C. Sproul wrote a book a couple years ago called called oh, several years ago called Everyone's a Theologian. Um, and in it, he basically shows how everyone, if you're familiar with Christian uh, teaching, uh, particularly in the sort of, you know, reformed conservative circles, um, has a theological system that they develop, whether they're conscious of it or not. Uh, so it's like everyone's a theologian, are you a good one or are you a bad one? And he sort of does a mini systematic theology within the book. Like here's the basic building blocks of Christian theology. Uh, and I think that the title is interesting um, because with our generation, millennials, uh, and the proliferation of theological education alongside of uh, the rise of social media and chat boards and all of these various mediums that we can hash out theological debate or philosophical debate or talk about moral conundra or whatever it is, uh, politics, everyone for various reasons, and we've talked about those reasons on the podcast, uh, a lot of it has to do with ego, not wanting to be um, sort of inferior in the public eye, uh, but everyone posits their thoughts as a sort of arrival at an understanding of a thing. Um, and a lot of times the, the, the conclusions that are put forward are sort of adopted uncritically by a group of people and sort of perpetuated. Uh, and what that does is it makes you, uh, both Joe and I, Joe taught through um, uh, Ghassani's book, The Religious Sense, and I'm reading through it right now. 
you taught a you that was part of the, one of your courses in Davenant Hall. Yeah, Davenant Hall approaches to defending the faith. We read Jasani's the religious sense, right? Yeah. And in there he talks about how um, you know, if you've not considered a thing that sort of like imposes itself on you, uh, and you've just sort of adopted in a, a description or an explanation of the thing rather than arrive at an understanding of the thing from the consideration of the thing, then you're not actually being reasonable, right? Right. Um, and I think that's where we're in. I've, I watched so many, and this is not me standing above the fray. I have done this, and I still do this to a certain degree. I watch yeah, so many here. young, so many 30, 40 something year olds get up and proclaim very confidently total depravity means, and then what follows is some explanation that they've gotten somewhere from somewhere. Uh, and I, uh, we could say more about that, but I think one of the things that's interesting is the Reformed tradition had a very um, dogged commitment to intellectual development that was slow. So before you got to study the queen of the sciences, which is theology, you had to go through all the physical stuff. You had to study all the physics first. You had to understand math and grammar and rhetoric and geometry and music and astronomy. And then you began to consider the meta after physics, yeah. physical at least stuff. As a, at least as like a discipline that you're going to study formally. Sure, right, exactly. But the, 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 what, what is baked into that progression is an understanding that unless you, unless you have some comprehension about all of this stuff, you're not going to be able to reason properly about this stuff over here, this really important stuff. Uh, but today, theology is um, sort of taken up as a hobby and then deployed as almost a weapon for your culture war, hobby horse, whatever it is. Uh, it's never considered as a discipline of itself. It's the pursuit of the thing for the sake of the thing, which is to get to God, right? Our ultimate good. Um, and this is concerning. I think uh, a lot of people will resonate with what we're saying here. And I think all we're trying to talk about is the impulse to uh, portray yourself as one who has the arrived without the pilgrimage of deep consideration of everything in between your starting point and your conclusion, um, that's that can be dangerous for your intellectual life. It's a shortcut. We want all the goods without all the work. Um, and that's just, yeah, and it's, that's just it, the way it is. Uh, and it can be hard, I think, to recognize, and I'm speaking here from experience, right? I'm not speaking here about somebody else, and so, so are you. It can be right. hard to recognize that that's you. It can actually be painful to kind of come to realize that that's you. You know, so take something like total depravity. You know, uh, you, you, you were just mentioning that. It's such a good example, because it's like I've heard total depravity invoked, to sort of explain in a cheap way all sorts of empirical phenomena. Well, the reason people depend on psychologists so much these days is they just don't understand total depravity. Well, blah, 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 right. my kids, because total depravity. Well, you can't expect unbelievers because bash matter, but not because of total depravity. It's like, guys, nobody said anything like that before like 15 minutes ago because it's not a smart thing to say. 
that's not how it works. That's not how the tradition thinks that it works. Like you're, you're kind of justifying a bunch of tribalistic instincts thinly with a kind of theological label that you snap all slap on and it feels very natural and it's natural that it feels very natural but that's nevertheless not a mature form of knowledge and 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 one of the temptations in our condition you know so go back to that lewis quote it is the common man that has to go find knowledge or go without it but that means that most common men are actually not going to be able to feel the kind of security that has been normal for their ancestors in this life and in this particular mm. moment. That doesn't mean you can feel no security in anything. You can know some things, but it's hard to know yeah. things. You can be, you know, there's degree and there's degrees of confidence and we can talk about that. But, you, you know, we, we, we know the outcome of an insecure relationship to that. Uh, uh, Derek Peterson's excellent work on the kind of the early flat earth movement really looks at this dimension to it, that the kind of rhetoric of the flat earth movement really did belong to, you know, the experts versus the common man and the common man can make judgments for himself and yada, yada, yada. And the common man and the blue collar and all that need not be insecure. That is a vantage point. There's great things about being that. There's a vantage point to having to arrive at knowledge as, you know, quote, quote, in this condition as the common man, which is maybe why God has given us this condition in the first place. Uh, nevertheless, right. there are distinctive trials to bear in being a common person. And what that's going to mean uh, when you don't have the authority of tradition and custom mediating it all to you with certainty, uh, what that's going to mean is that you're going to feel a little bit adrift and that you actually will only know some things really well, generally speaking. Most people will only know some things really well and other things peripherally well as a degree of deference. Like this is the judgment that is around me. <laughs> uh, I don't really have good reason to doubt it. And I'm going to defer to it unless I you know, have reason to defer to something else. And how all this, I think, connects to Jasani is that what Jasani is doing in the religious sense that's really helpful is reminding us of this truth uh, this this kind of principle in in ancient metaphysics that the way we know something is dependent on the nature of the object that we know. And so there are quite literally as many epistemologies, that is to say methods of knowing, as there are types of, you know, kind of qualitative boxes of things that one might know. We know persons in the way that one knows persons. We know rocks in the way that one knows rocks. We know formal objects through reason in the way that one knows formal objects through the, the laws of logic. What it classically means to be reasonable, to be operating in reason is not just the singular method called reason like the laws of logic simpliciter, uh, right. but rather what it meant to be reasonable in the tradition is to say all of those ways and those types of realities that are shine above the abyss of nothing into the receptacle of the, of the mind and all the ways in which those objects can be known. Persons in the way one knows persons, formal objects, trees in the way one knows trees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all those combined into a singularity. Uh, that is what it means to be reasonable. And one of the things that happens in a lot of contemporary discourse, uh, it, you go back to that example of total depravity, 
very often, say, for instance, the feelings get thrown uh, on the side of total depravity, but not the thoughts, <laughs> right? And so the feelings of grandma in Sunday school going, oh, that's kind of an odd depiction of God, versus the thoughts of the guy going, yeah, but that's what this Bible verse means. <laughs> uh, uh, all of a sudden, grandma's feelings are less of a hold on reality than this man's thoughts are. And that's not necessarily true depending upon the relationship of that person to their thoughts, uh, mm. depending on where those, like what, how much are those thoughts a hold on reality versus a regurgitation of, of what is, you know, really just a kind of formal object, yeah, which is not what reality ultimately is. Yeah. And I wonder if there's, I wonder if this is uh, due to a sort of evangelical, uh, allergy to reason itself. Um, <clears throat> you know, like the great war between faith and reason. Uh, I, I can just tell you personally, my experience growing up in the church was reason was sort of always pitted against faith. Like we believe by faith, we see by faith. Um, and what that meant was like, uh, you know, sort of stepping out into an abyss and hoping that there's a platform that your foot will fall on. But the movement of the will to make the step into the abyss is faith. Uh, it's not a reasonable, um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a conclusion. In other, in other words, my belief in Christianity is not a conclusion that is given to me by reason. It's given to me by the sprinkling of divine fairy dust that just sort of gets into me. And I want to be clear, I think regeneration by the Holy Spirit is a miracle of God uh, that's worked inside of the heart of man solely by God's good uh, providence and sovereign rule. But he also works through means, and the means that he's given humanity in general is a mind with the ability to reason. And I think once we sort of check out of the Christianity is reasonable way of understanding our faith, then we've really given ourselves over to uh, the temptation of arrival without pilgrimage. Because now it's like, okay, what's the Bible verse? What's the, what's the argument? What do I need to say in order to justify my Christianity rather than saying my Christianity is the most reasonable conclusion after I take in my experience of these, this phenomena that's in the world crashing in on How my senses. How do you senses. relate what you're saying to the person who says, yeah, but because in one sense, a lot of the folks you're saying are at arrival are, um, are folks who would say are folks who imagine that arrival to be one of reason. In other words, I got all my arguments and my ducks in a row, and here's the spreadsheet and my argument for this, that, 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 and the other. How do you how do you compare that person's arrival, that person's relationship to reason with the kind of separation from reason you're talking about? Is it like, is it well, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, right. So if I'm understanding you, like you're talking about, okay, maybe a guy goes to seminary and he reads Turretin, he reads Calvin, he reads Bannerman, he gets all the arguments for covenant theology, systematic theology, all the, right. all the, and then he emerges from uh, uh, seminary and he says, okay, 
here's what I learned, and this is what I'm going to teach from the pulpit or in Sunday school. Or somebody really does sincerely believe, I know a reality because I can argue, I can make arguments for the reality. That That is sort of conflated right, in the mind, right, the capacity right. to argue uh, is is in a way conflated with the possession of the being of the thing in your soul. Yes, exactly. And and what I'm saying is the possession of the being of the thing in your soul comes from your experience, firstly, of the thing considered as the thing is communicating to you what its nature is just by its mere act of existence, right? And the consideration of the thing. So... There's a difference between the consideration of things and considerations of arguments. Arguments can tell you about sort of structures of thought, uh, but God doesn't operate in abstract structures of thought. God gives us plants and dolphins and butterflies and human beings, and it's our understanding of those things which then inform the, it's like basically well, you can think of it like scaffolding of structures of thought that then is filled in by systems of um, how we break the Bible down. What does the Bible say about a mountain? What does it say about an ant? And then discursively reasoning from those things fills it in even further. Yeah. And you can... and I'm and, and, I, and I guess all I'm saying is I think a lot of people miss the world. They, they don't like thinking about the reason. They don't like thinking about how the world can give them all, all that is necessary and their reason in contact with the world can give them all of the reasons for why Christianity is yeah, the best explanation is, of reality. This is that moment where worldview, where uh, one of the... the the, the jokes we sometimes tell in our little circle is, uh, give me more world and less view. Uh, right. Right. Uh, and often what happens in worldview, and there's good uses of worldview. I'm not knocking every use of worldview. I don't care about the term. Use the term sure. worldview, fine. Uh, but what can happen in some usages of the term is that the world comes from the view. Uh, it's the view that is ultimately the thing, and the world is a kind of epiphenomenon of the view, ultimately. Yeah. And, and and it is the again go back to that kind of thing we were talking about earlier it's the objects that determine how you know them which is why you know, you know it's the it's the objects that determine the mode of knowledge whereas in our in our day one of the habits of modern mental thought modern mental habits is to is to kind of a is to kind of search for the singular method of knowing descartes writes a discourse on method you want to how do I love my wife and how do I solve math problems? Well, here's the, you know, here's the method. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, re- I, that's overstating and I doubt he'd say that. Um, um, and this is the distinction then between reasonableness versus logic, you know, like to, to be logical is to, is to, is to be able to make formal arguments in a certain kind of way to be reasonable is to be properly grasping and processing of reality in all the ways in which the human soul is open to the manifold disclosure of reality out there. And that's why when I, you know, I go back to grandma, sometimes when a kind of uh, person on a head trip who has a lot of Bible verses makes a kind of scandalous theological claim, um, 
and grandma sitting in the room goes, oh, that's a pretty ugh depiction of right. God. Uh, even though that guy has a bunch of arguments for what he's thinking, uh, uh, one way you know God is actually through the sensations of the emotions. It is actually through the textures of, of all the textures through which we know the good, the true, and the beautiful. God is not just the capital T truth. He's capital T good, capital G good. So therefore the, the ultimate object of human desire and capital B beautiful, the whole object of love and, and all the faculties of personage. And so grandma's sensitivities are, 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 are in their own way, a whole, a, a way in which we ping reality just as our thoughts are. And when there's such a radical differentiation between them, in fact, what happens, I think, in some circles is that it's like, well, that's just feelings. And right. it's like, no. And this is the thing that you can say with great confidence. None of the tradition treats feelings that way. Right. Nothing in the Western tradition, nothing in especially nothing in the Christian tradition, nothing in the Reformed tradition. If you are speaking that way, you are 15 minutes old theologically in the tradition, because this is not a way anybody speaks about any of these things. It is true that the mind has a sort of executive function over all these other faculties, but those other faculties are messages. They're yeah. delivery boys to the church. Uh, 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 of, of whether your executive function is actually properly ordered to the whole of reality. And it is that orderedness toward the whole of reality that constitutes what it means to be reasonable. And um, which is why in our context, you know, just kind of getting back to the common man in our condition, it's like, it's very unlikely that the average human being doesn't need to be a little bit open-handed about your sense of arrival at things right now. And one way to tell if you've actually arrived versus you're in fake arrival uh, is what happens when your arrival is challenged. When somebody mm. comes up to you and they say, oh, I have these feelings or how can that be true of God or whatever, are you automatically dismissive? Does your heart race a little bit? Are you jumping at the chance to say the thing to correct them? That's anxiety. <laughs> right, right, right. That is not faith in God. That is not restedness and divine control and providence and you being in the moment you're in working with another human who's a co-rainer just as you. Uh, that's your heart racing. And that's actually a lack of faith. And that is not a rival. That's actually not confidence. That's a deep, 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 deep insecurity. Whereas confidence and real arrival can really listen to the grandma, can listen to the feelings, can listen to the thoughts, doesn't need to react, doesn't need to control, doesn't need to predetermine an outcome, and can admit when there's a range of ways one can relate to Christian, I shouldn't put it that way, a range of ways one can relate to, you know, all of the things we all talk about that go from, I'm really confident about this to, uh, I don't know. Like, right. I only know so many things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'd wonder, I do wonder, so, so you and I sort of have a meme of a guy, that young guy in our mind that we're sort of talking about, right? We've constructed an imaginary dude that's like an amalgam of all the dudes that we've experienced. And then most people experience if they're in like, you know, a reformedish church and you've got a 30 something and he's very loud about everything he believes or on the internet and the chat boards and whatever. Um, but 
like for people that are not that right so for the grandma or for the stay-at-home mom that's raising seven children you know um and she's just trying to like love god and read her bible and understand things uh i wonder if the the environment of the modern world is inhibiting the ability to connect to things that way to consider things in themselves deeply right like like i tell last last sunday i I taught a sunday school class as basically like an introduction to basic metaphysical categories i didn't say that right um but i was just trying to get them to think like and i do this with my students too i'm like what's the very first thing that is apparent to everyone it's like well there are things uh we don't even think that right we just take for granted oh there are things we don't even think to think about the fact that there are things and then it's like what's the next thing that you think about huh why are there things (laughs) you know from where did the things come and what's the reason for the things that those very basic and i say basic they are really the deepest questions a human being can ask but those very basic first moves of just questioning making observations as a conscious person about the things around you and asking questions of it those are not that's not done anymore um because we're like hyper stimulated with so much outside static that draws our attention to where there's never a quiet moment in the soul to just say, why is there a thing in front of me? Um, So I think the modern world is a stumbling block towards a deep reasonableness about reality because we don't even know that we should think about a thing. Yeah. And it's, it's, that's an interesting comment because I'm reading a, a, a German philosopher of modernity right now called Helmut Rosa, and he wrote this book called The Uncontrollability of the World and Two Others on Modernity. And one of the things he talks about is how, like, it's our habit to uh, uh, to relate to everything around us as like a point of aggression, a point of confrontation. Mm. It's just how we move through the world. And so the 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 agency, and this is just my, this is just. That's what I write about, right? <laughs> the kind of agency and the voice and the activity of the world itself kind of loses its own voice. And, and, and it's not surprising that therefore this kind of uh, uh, a parody of real arrival and wisdom, a parody of possessing the world in the mind uh, uh, through experience and knowledge and the mind, uh, which is just wisdom, possessing the world in the mind is wisdom. Right. Uh, uh, it's not surprising that the forms of it that we see those parodies uh, are the way they are now, that they are this way now. And we all struggle with it precisely because there is, I think, as you're just pointing out, there is some loss of contact with reality in itself, Re- reality's ordinary mode of speaking to us in itself. And, and there's opportunities to be gained with that. There's a lot of liabilities that come along with that. Um, and I think mm. this is one of them. One of them is, is that we are deeply disconnected. We don't, uh, uh, we are a bit adrift um, and find, and everything we, we deeply need reorientation. 
and all of our native habits are somewhat against arriving, getting, <laughs> getting that orientation. Yes, that's kind of kind of what you're kind of what you're pointing out. And in a sense, all we really need to be able to say is to know that. I mean, to be humble. Yeah, and, and then to and then to uh, uh, does nevertheless desire to understand uh, uh, and to and to navigate this world. Um, it doesn't mean it's unworthy to try and become confident. Uh, you And you can yeah. become confident. It just takes time and it's going to be piecemeal. <laughs> it's not your, you know, right. the person who's walking around with, you know, a 30,000, 60,000 word confession in their pocket and acting like they are just as confident about the Trinity or the doctrine of scripture as they are about every sub clause of the thing. You might, defer right. to the whole thing and that's fine and maybe even wise but saying that you actually know with equal possession that whole thing that's actually just not true <laughs> uh and yeah. if you think of yourself that way you're actually not you're, you're again you're you're living in ideology and in the way that we can know that you're living in ideology is that typically speaking somebody who claims that when they are challenged get obviously agitated and respond like an agitated person rather than respond like a confident person in a state of genuine arrival. Yes, which, um, which brings up uh, like, okay, well then how do we do this? Um, right, so dialogue and friendship is so, I think that those are the prescription for um, helping the sick modern soul out of its uh, sort of disillusioned overconfidence of arrival at knowledge of things, dialogue and friendship. Um, so friendship is so rare these days, real friendship is so rare these days because we can organize ourselves in these little sort of like hyper uh, particular communities online and never be be challenged with anything but a real right. friend is a friend that's like open to you um yes. go and, to a church that will let me be a leader <laughs> yeah right 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 yes <laughs> and then with you have the privilege and the blessing of having a friend then talk to the friend uh and i think that this is what's like in real relationships real relationships between friends, we can work a lot of these things out. We can, because we could create spaces that are, um, that allow for vulnerability. And uh, when I say vulnerability, I mean, we can allow for another person or ourselves to be wrong. And we're just sort of like testing things out with our friends. It's sort of like throwing a bunch of stuff I'm thinking out. And then my friend is gathering it and they're throwing a bunch of things that they think out. And those things start to collide into one another. Um, and then we all sort of grab a hold of what we can see as unifying what the thoughts of me and that person over there are coming to. And that will open up deeper vistas of things that we had never even began to think were part of the conversation that we can go into. And then the process just continues, right? Um, but in order for this to work, you do need like basic Christian 
um, virtues. You need like humility and kindness and patience yeah. and long suffering uh, and not accounting yourself more worthy than another and not insisting on your own way. Right. So you need to yeah. have like a full grasp of love and then you need to love that person that you're talking to your friend. Right. You must love them. And it, it... Go ahead. Nope. Nope. That's all. Oh, okay. It really is. Uh, it really is the case that the person who loves has a vantage point also for knowledge. Because again, knowledge, the more reality that is led into the soul, the more the, the knowing mind can analyze and synthesize. And it is love. <laughs> and it is love and many other aspects of the human that, that let in the whole of reality of other persons, of the situations in the world, of the full meaning of scripture, of the full implications of all the things. Uh, and the heart that is closed to that will be present an extraordinarily reductionist account, even of what it does teach. Whereas love, yeah. teach, love can teach the, the wider world because of course the wider world is or ordered through love and is, is originated in love. And therefore love, it, to some extent, the heart of love is what exegetes it. Um, and, and I think one of the things you're fighting, I think, in our context is, is if you are an extremely egotistical person, <laughs> it's going to be very easy to think that you just know everything. And you, all you need yeah. to do is go on Amazon and you're going to find a billion books that are some dude on the Internet writing his answer to literally all the problems of the universe. And look, if you if for a person with a big ego that has an enormous amount of like disproportionate innate self-regard <laughs> uh, or really just kind of self-worship. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, this is this is that moment where they're going, you know, you're going to be able to go. You can go be an influencer on that. And in fact, perhaps most influencers are that. Uh, uh, the system rewards that in a sense, uh, 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 a yep. sort of sort of a Karen level ego with a with just enough uh, uh, brains, uh, you know, perhaps to sort of to sort of to sort of have mass uh, sort of mass psyche impact, you might say. But one of the things that mm. you know I've really enjoyed um, about Davenant Hall, I have to say. Uh, getting back to what you were just saying, one of the things I've really enjoyed about teaching for Davenant Hall is that it does provide a context where people are able out loud to ask really kind of scary theological questions. And it's very, very comfortable. So it's like, it's not the place yeah. where you're going to come to class and say, well, how do we really know about the deity of Christ? And somebody's going to freak out about that. Uh, it's possible to wonder about that. Uh, there's all these books, yeah. and messages, and things, and you know, inside you can wobble because you can feel like, "What do I know? I'm not a scholar." And then you can want help, uh, uh, or you can doubt because it's like, "Well, the most scholar of the thing I read said that," you know, that sort of thing. And you need a place actually where you can just say the thing out loud, and it's not a moment to be triggered. We can all calm down, and we can just let reality itself and God's mercy answer that for us. And actually what's incredible is when you go about it that way, what you produce is real confidence in the classical things, like actual yes. confidence. It's non-triggered, it's settled yes. in the soul. And I think one of the things, last thing I'll say, that we do need to, one category I think that's helpful here, just so it's not all reduced to ego, 
because it's not all ego. Not everybody is just a narcissist or an egotist or something, except in as much right. as we all are. Um, just you, right. Exactly, just me. Um, <laughs> I think the category of moral injury helps here in the sense that I think it is also just helpful to say, look, all the folks we're talking about, uh, uh, all the tendency of modern people to do this, it's not just because you're, you know, we're especially awful or especially anything. It's it's a natural response to the context we're in. It's a predictable response. And there's some there's some deep intellectual, spiritual, theological, cultural malformation that we all commonly possess. And that just needs to be recognized. Uh, you're, you're operating from, you know, several limps, as everybody always is, in a sense. Uh, and I think if that can just be said out loud and not made, you know, it's not even a subject of shame. It's just reality. Then also, then also, it's in, that's especially important, I think, to recognize for teachers who think, OK, here's something we can say clearly, because you could go out there and get so. And I think this is, again, a measure of ideology versus real knowledge. If you go out there and like you're frustrated because people don't get it or everybody is also everybody is just also deceived or whatever or something like that, I think you're missing like what else is everybody going to be these days? Of course, right. everything is the way that it is these days. Work with that, deal with that, and and uh, and uh, and help. <laughs> yeah, and be reasonable. Yeah, uh, you know. I, so they many, just trust so much. You. Right, right, exactly. I tell my students, you should not just walk away. I teach Christian wisdom course for seventh through twelfth graders in my in my school, and I tell them all, I'm like, we're using these books, and I'm and I'm making claims. You shouldn't just walk away believing whatever Mr. Stenberg says. And I actually had one student uh, write uh, his whole paper was in uh aimed at disproving mr stenberg as something i had said and i congratulated him it's like good job that's what we're doing here um you're wrong and we can talk about how you're wrong but good instinct right like that's this is what we're doing this is the project um but you can't do that if you're like you said you, you can't do that if you're just constantly triggered and leaders need to be instead of saying what we need to all be i think what good teachers do is they demonstrate it through their teaching right like if i tell a group of people to be humble that's one thing and that's a correct statement but if i'm not humble what am i teaching i'm just throwing words out i always think of uh orwell wrote this was it Orwell? He wrote this essay on writing and he said, never call a thing beautiful. Tell us why it's beautiful. And then people will yeah. automatically understand show, it's beautiful. Show, don't tell. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that's so much of what a good teacher does. A teacher just does the thing. Um, and then the students use words to describe what the teacher's doing. And it should be words like, humility and kindness and patience and you know all the virtues uh so maybe the last thing i'll just say is um one of the reasons i think this is a good discussion to continue having if if you know you and i start a conversation for whoever listens to this one thing that would be um 
really good to continue the conversation is to think about like, is there, is there a moment in my life where I can carve out space to think and to consider things as they are and to see how far I can get in my consideration of things with my reason? Uh, you know, what can I learn about a thing that presents itself to me? And in part, that means that you have to like put your phone down, shut your laptop, and like look around and then like stare at something for a little bit and then just like start to consider the thing. Um, and have a friend that you can say, man, I was staring at this thing the other day and like, here's what I thought. And then your friend be like, well, that's stupid. And then you'd be like, okay, well, why? And then you can have a conversation. And that I think is the project that the modern person is not even in tune to at all, but would deeply help them um, on a personal sort of like emotional, stable, spiritual level, but also in being a more reasonable person, right? Uh, you know, turning yourself out towards that which is there and, cons and, and considering all the things in their particulars as they communicate their nature to you to, dis to discover, uh, to arrive at a discovery of a thing that's living, that's life. Um, and I say yeah. this, I say this in large part because this is hard for me. You know, I try to break out of the digiverse and encounter nature, but you know, I don't do it as often as I think I could because I like flipping through reels on Facebook too. <laughs> um, but anyway, right. so. Yeah. I think the last thing I'd say is, um, yeah, I think that is a, a great exercise, you know, and this is just really what you're talking about is meditation. It's like meditation on the realities. It's not just meditation on arguments, but meditation on the things that arguments are supposed to be about. Yeah. Uh, and they're the fullness, the textures of their meaning, you know, treating the world as an icon, a presence that's hiding something fuller than itself. We, we see in things a reflection of greater things etc and even what we see of things is not the full thing and yeah you know it hides itself through its presence you know you might say um the one thing i say is obviously you can only do that in a limited way and i think yeah. one of the things that's really helpful to be able to develop and get comfortable with because i think what a, what i see a lot of the time is people are under the impression that they're supposed to have confident answers about all these things i'm supposed to be able to prove this and prove that know this doctrine know that doctrine have an economic system know about science and and all these things and no politics and it's like dude <laughs> right right right, like, right most human beings don't know most of that stuff you could make arguments for most of that stuff and you actually don't have to know everything it is yeah. actually okay <laughs> just to know some things and yes. just the process of being comfortable uh, uh, saying, I don't know. So it's like, and one way of saying that is if you don't want to do what Dale just described, don't feel like you need to know that thing. Like you might not do that because I don't, I guess, I guess I just don't feel as much of a need to know that. But then you can go do that about the things you do want to know. Uh, right. And then you actually do become a more confident, secure person because it's like, well, I know some things. And I can camp there and I can talk about that, but I can also just be chill in a way about like, 
you know, in God's providence at this point in life and uh, in the moment that I'm in, in this time and space and world history, I don't know plenty of things. And, you know, yeah. that's okay. Yeah, it's not Which okay. And you have to do it. Very I briefly, it doesn't mean you don't have <laughs> guidance. Because right. what, what every human does when that comes along is you just defer to your betters. You just say, like, here's what everything around me that I trust says. And you just kind of go with that. We all do that, sure. uh, more or less. Yeah, yeah. And I guess a real easy way to do it is to have a good friend. I guess that's what I'm saying because just the consideration of a friend of another human is mm. is more valuable uh, than the consideration of any other thing because a human is the greatest thing among things in creation. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is a good combo. Thank you, brother. I appreciate yeah, sure. it. All right. Well. Uh, Davenant Institute on YouTube. You can find our previous episodes, iTunes, all the podcast things. Uh, but until next time, Joe, love you, brother. Love you too, man. And we'll see you later.